Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, everyone. Jake Tapper here. If you're a fan of The Lead, I think you're going to like this special miniseries I'm about to share with you. In it, you're going to hear conversations I had with eight U.S. commanding generals who led the war effort over four administrations, from the former Afghan ambassador to the U.S., and you'll hear directly from veterans who served. We examine the mission and the missteps, and in this episode, whether U.S. troop levels could have ever changed the trajectory of the war eight years after it began. Plus our conclusion, and the bigger question of whether the past 20 years of war was worth the immeasurable cost. So here's the second part of our documentary, America's Longest War, What Went Wrong in Afghanistan? Go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. And thank you for listening. When he won, it was transformative. We had a first black president commander-in-chief, and I was like, well, if it's any time to serve the country, perhaps now would be a great time. My name is Richard Brookshire. I was a sergeant, and I served in Afghanistan in 2011. How do I feel about Obama's handling of the war in Afghanistan? It's a difficult kind of thing to tread because, you know, as a young black man, you want to admire this person, you know, and I, I do in many ways. Um, but when I looked at his presidency and the choices that he made, Thank you very much, everybody. I think Obama was a liar. I think he misled people to believe in a hope and change agenda, specifically in Afghanistan. The mastermind of 9-11, the architect of Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden is dead. They captured and killed Osama bin Laden. And I remember the day that it happened, I was in the chow hall and nobody was reacting to the fact that Osama bin Laden had gotten killed because we knew that that's not why we were there anymore. It's kind of when I started to really fall out of love with Obama. The death of bin Laden marks the most significant achievement to date in our nation's effort to defeat Al-Qaeda. I see him delivering a speech as if he's accomplished some great feat and perhaps in a propagandic sense he had, but all I saw was a lot of money being poured into a country that did not want us there. There are literally schools in Brooklyn that don't have books in the library. There are bread lines in this country right now. There are people who are facing eviction. What could that money have done for the people who actually call this place home? Congratulations, Mr. President. In January 2009, America inaugurated a new commander-in-chief, whose top foreign policy agenda item was the seven-year-old war on Afghanistan. To finish it and get out. I want the American people to understand that we have a clear and focused goal to disrupt, dismantle, and defeat al-Qaeda in Pakistan and Afghanistan and to prevent their return to either country in the future. 
That is a cause that could not be more just. A just cause, complete with a new strategy and a new commander, General Stanley McChrystal. He didn't talk in that mission statement much about if Afghanistan is unstable and ungovernable and all, but al-Qaeda is gone, is, is that good enough? Is that success? So it became an implied requirement that says you've got to create a sovereign Afghanistan, which can defend its own borders, which can police inside itself, which can prevent the reemergence of an al-Qaeda safe haven inside. McChrystal's predecessor, General David McKiernan, had been sacked by President Obama's Defense Secretary, Robert Gates. We have a new strategy, a new mission, and a new ambassador. I believe that new military leadership also is needed. McKiernan, shortly before he had been fired, had been visited by Secretary Gates in Afghanistan, and McKiernan spread the word to other senior officers. He said, well, it looks like we maybe have done too good of a job telling people how bad things are over here. 2009 is going to be a tough year. Uh, there are the, the baseline problems of poverty and literacy and violence. That's not going to turn around quickly. So whether Gates intended it or not, there was a very clear message sent out to other senior officers, which was, we don't want you to be pessimistic in public. Secretary Gates tells me, go over and do a strategic assessment and tell me what you need to be effective. I came away with a number of conclusions. One, that the situation was much worse than it was perceived in DC. The staff came up with a conclusion we needed 40,000 more people. And the 40,000 were designed, in my view, to be a bridge to allow us to build up Afghan forces over the next couple of years. McChrystal's 66-page assessment calling for a revised mission refocused on building a stable Afghan military, a drastic jump in troops, and a massive financial investment was promptly leaked. At the White House, some believed leaked intentionally to put pressure on the new president. In the last 48 hours, Afghanistan has become an even bigger problem, at least publicly, for President Obama. I was asked to go to Copenhagen to meet President Obama, and we got on Air Force One and sat down and had an absolutely pleasant, straightforward meeting. I read about it later that, you know, it's one of these woodshed moments, and... It wasn't. That's no, no. We didn't even have a conversation about the leak or anything that I remember, and I knew that I hadn't leaked it, and I was absolutely confident my people hadn't leaked it. Regardless of who leaked the assessment, there was a lot of skepticism about it in Washington. Perhaps the leading skeptic? Then Vice President Joe Biden. The surge. I was opposed to it. Now, what I did was I spent a lot of time with the president trying to convince him as well. But while most all the focus on McChrystal's plan seemed to be on how high troop levels needed to go, the question that others were considering was if any number of troops at all could solve the problems in Afghanistan. Ambassador Eikenberry concluded they would not. And in a classified diplomatic cable to then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, he explained why. Reason number one, quote, President Karzai 
is not an adequate strategic partner. Not only President Karzai, but many of the Afghan political elite, they just didn't see this war as we saw it. As we're talking to President Karzai, he said, so look, I'm with you as long as you are defining this problem as a war against terrorists. If this is a war that's going to be fought on my territory, where you're bombing my villages, when really the threat is across the border, I can't support you. And yet that conversation was lost. What was your reaction when you read Ambassador Eikenberry's statement when you saw that it had leaked? And do you disagree with it? I was not aware of it was being written. Um, it was sent to me from the chairman and uh, I didn't agree with it. I think he was the strategic partner we had. The next 18 months will likely be decisive and ultimately enable success. Despite the doubts around town, General McChrystal moved forward with his plan. We can and will accomplish this mission. And President Obama signed off on a 30,000 troop surge. 10,000 fewer than requested. And it came with an expiration date. After 18 months, our troops will begin to come home. I advised against the withdrawal date, but then President Obama asked me if I could support it. And the answer is, of course, because he's the commander in chief and he's got perspectives I don't have. He believed that we could not have an open-ended commitment. And at the end of the day, do you think the surge worked? We did achieve some military results on the ground, but they were not to be lasting. In my view, we did see improvement, but that improvement is always limited unless you can follow it with governance and economic development. Otherwise, it's not uh, sustainable. And how did those other two parts go? Predictably harder. Soon after the drawdown of troops began in 2011, Afghan security forces found themselves unable to maintain much of the recent territory gains. And the influx of cash that had accompanied the increase in forces appeared to be backfiring. U.S. officials would say we, we spent too much too fast. We were the biggest drivers of corruption because we were throwing so much money at this country, people were going to put it in their pockets. And that severely undermined everything we were trying to accomplish. I didn't start thinking it was going to be easy. But just how hard it was in Afghanistan really brings to mind, okay, is this strategy viable? But by the time General McChrystal had begun questioning the viability of his own strategy, he was no longer in charge. Today I accepted General Stanley McChrystal's resignation. I did so with considerable regret, but also with certainty that it is the right thing for our mission. On the job for only a year, President Obama fired McChrystal after a controversial magazine profile published unflattering and downright dismissive comments about Obama administration officials, comments made by McChrystal and his close aides, ending a long and distinguished military career. I've uh, probably spent more time thinking about it than, than anyone else. At the end of the day, President Obama was put in an untenable position, and 
I put him there. From my command, a story came out that perceived by many people would be almost a direct affront to him as though you've got a military leader who doesn't respect the commander in chief. Was it tough to end your, I think, 34 year military career in that way? Of course. It's still tough. After immediately replacing General McChrystal with Iraq surge mastermind General David Petraeus, President Obama would appoint four more generals to command the war during his administration. Our coalition is committed to this plan to bring our war in Afghanistan to a responsible end. And all four generals would struggle to end the war, as Obama had claimed that he would. What was quite interesting... Good evening. ...is in May of 2011, bin Laden is killed. Justice has been done. That would have been President Obama's possibility of saying that mission is completed and then to begin the withdrawal. It sounds to me like you're saying, with the benefit of hindsight, that you think we should have withdrawn after bin Laden was killed. Yes. So, Jake, I think that's an important question. Had we left at any point over the past 20 years, there would have been residual risk. The assessment from the intelligence community was al-Qaeda would reconstitute and once again pose a threat. December 28, 2014. It appeared that the president was ready to assume that risk, releasing a statement announcing the conclusion of the war in Afghanistan. In reality, that conclusion would not come for another seven years. When he claimed that there was an end to the combat mission, that just patently wasn't true. So you had scores of Americans losing their lives in combat. It's kind of the lobster pot analogy. Easy to get into, hard to get out of. When we come back, was the war in Afghanistan ultimately a failure? Dusty and I have politically different views, and so we kind of look at the war through different lenses. Mine's a little bluer than his, I would say. Like most married couples, Katie and Dusty Cook do not agree on everything. For these two married Marines, those disagreements include the decision to end the war in Afghanistan. I understand why President Biden made the announcement and as an officer support my commander in chief's decisions, but I did have a bit of concern. It's a damn disappointment. It's a terrible situation and we're literally just like piecing out in the middle yeah. of the night. <laughs> yeah, I left I left the keys in the car, you got it. It's gotta have to take a gas by. Yeah. What is going on? Dusty was a major in the Marines and deployed twice to Afghanistan. First in 2009, then again in 2011. Katie Cook, who would become the first female Blue Angels pilot, served in Afghanistan in 2013. It sucks as a service member looking back at Afghanistan and knowing that you gave them that glimmer of hope and now that it's gone, right? That feels terrible. I think there's going to be a lot of service members who are thinking, like, was it 
worth it. I literally dedicated my life to this cause and it's worse off than it was. It's like a multi-faceted question, was it worth it? Um, was it worth it for the loss of life on, on any side? No. Was it worth it for what we kind of gained, I guess, as an identity together? Maybe so. I have no regrets. The people that we helped there, like they have a face. I've touched them, I've shaken their hands. Like, you know, I've been able to greatly affect their lives in a positive manner, and so have the Marines around me. Everything that we did there, all the money we spent, all the marriages that were sacrificed, or, you know, the events that people missed out on, all of these things that are intangible losses in addition to life and limb that, you know, a lot of people sacrificed, was it worth it? And I don't think the answer is yes. For better or for worse, President Biden will be remembered as the commander-in-chief who ended the 20-year war in Afghanistan. Yet it was President Trump who set the wheels for withdrawal in motion. My original instinct was to pull out and historically... I like following my instincts. I didn't see a clarity on President Trump's strategy for Afghanistan. I think that it was a, a four-year period in which we didn't have clarity to ourselves or to the people that we were fighting against or fighting with. In fact, in 2020, the Trump administration would strike a historic deal with the Taliban that excluded those the U.S. had been fighting alongside for 20 years, the Afghan government. And while many have argued that the U.S. should have negotiated with the Taliban years earlier, Trump's deal may very well have set the stage for both America's ultimate withdrawal and the Taliban takeover. I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021. Do you think that the Trump administration's agreement for bringing peace to Afghanistan was inevitably going to be a roadmap to surrender to the Taliban? It definitely facilitated that. They gave them the experience of presenting themselves as a state or a quasi-state. Roya Rahmani was appointed Afghanistan's first female ambassador to the U.S. and served during the negotiations. When the negotiation with the Taliban started, it should have been not a two-segment negotiation, one with the U.S. and Taliban, another one U.S. talking with the Afghan government. It should have been more uh, of trying to bring everyone together. So that was a mistake, you think? That was a mistake. It gave them the platform, it empowered them, and it gave them the time. Time and manpower. The agreement brokered by the Trump administration forced the release of 5,000 Taliban prisoners, thousands of whom would later help topple the Afghan government. Leaving the hard-fought progress that U.S. interventions successfully achieved in parts of Afghan society hanging in the balance. There was a lot of good that was done. The Afghan people, especially in the cities, cherish what it is that they have come to enjoy. 
Women's life expectancy increased by nearly nine years. Come on to the presentation. Literacy jumped 28% for young men and 19% for young women. And child mortality dropped in half. Yet the full cost of those gains have proven nearly immeasurable. The cost was considerable uh, in blood and treasure, uh, lives lost, families shattered. But this is where the 9-11 attacks are planned. That's where the training of the attackers was conducted initially. We got rid of them. We got rid of their leaders. Uh, and I felt that this was a, a mission of consequence for our country and a privilege to perform. In your view, was the war in Afghanistan worth the cost? I'm probably too emotionally biased to give a really good answer to that. Um, it would be hard if I was a disinterested party to argue that it was, but in my heart, I have a different conclusion. I think it was. If we step back now and say, just because we didn't get the exact outcome we wanted, we shouldn't have tried, I think would be a mistake. What was our mission? To prevent Al-Qaeda from attacking the United States, prevent Afghanistan from being a sanctuary, and also mitigate the risk of mass migration. And I believe over the course of 20 years, that was achieved. We shouldn't confuse the outcome with saying that we did that at an appropriate level uh, of investment. Would I like to have seen us accomplish that mission with fewer young men and women having lost their lives, families suffering, casualties? There's no question about it. But at the end of the day, I'm not willing to say uh, it wasn't worth it. I think we had to retaliate in Afghanistan for the attack on the United States of America. Now, for the 20 years after that, have we done it the smartest, best way? Probably not. There's probably lots of things we could have done differently. My first impulse is to say, yes, it was worth it, but I no longer am certain of that. But before I go to my grave, I hope to have that question answered. If anyone had said on the 12th of September 2001, when we knew that the attack had come from Afghanistan, we're going to be there now from this point on for about 20 years, and it's going to end with us leaving and Taliban back in power. Could you imagine the reaction of the American people? Was the war in Afghanistan ultimately a failure. The 20-year war in Afghanistan uh, was for the results that uh, we have achieved were not worth the cost. When we come back, the forever impacts of America's forever war. I will never forgive the leaders that caused people that I love to die. Did those generals lie to us?
For most Americans, the end of the war in Afghanistan has had almost no impact on their lives. But for the small percentage of those who voluntarily served and sacrificed, and those who love them, the impact of what they have experienced will linger long after the withdrawal. In terms of the emotions that the end of all this brings, I realize it's gonna take a long time to process. Because I've been thinking and writing and mulling over Afghanistan for so long. And I'm coming to the realization that I'm still not done. You know, it's gonna be another, you know, six, nine, who knows how many years. I'm a little choked up only because, you know, two of the guys I started with my army career with and served with in my young lieutenant days, <clears throat> Both committed suicide within the last month. Um, and it's, you can't say that it was about Afghanistan. Every suicide is a, a unique event. And you can never say, well, this is why. But we've lost 30,000 of post 9 11 veterans to suicide. You know, it's hard. When, when you get back, You lose friends, you know, to suicide. Green is for a new era and prosperity. You either survive all that, or they go back again, and it's their sixth deployment, and they don't make it home from that one. Coming home was a difficult process. You just had this experience of being ripped away from everything you knew and loved, thrown in the middle of a war zone, in the middle of a country so different from your own. And I just felt very isolated in trying to even articulate the difficulties of the transition. I'm just getting my footing. It's been 10 years since I got back. A lot of folks deal with post-traumatic stress because when they come back, they're still constantly on heightened alert. I found myself to be extremely short-tempered. My fuse was lightning fast, and I realized really quickly something was wrong. I went to therapy outside of the military. It still angers me to this day that Americans died for a war that seemingly had no aim. I will never forgive the leaders that caused people that I love to die. I love this country, but this, this was a massive mistake. One of the fundamental questions we need to be able to answer as a country is, is defending your nation when called, you know, a fundamental responsibility of citizenship? Go, 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 hurry up! If it is, it shouldn't just be volunteers that do that. If you don't think that being a U.S. citizen entails answering the call to arms if the nation's attacked, then we've kind of lost something that we've always had as part of our history. I think when we go to war, every zip code should be at risk. Every family should be at risk. Because then the threshold to make decisions to go to war will be a little bit more responsibly arrived at, I think. But how do you do that? You think we should have a draft? I personally think that we should. Now, I know many of my peers would disagree, 
But I think it's very dangerous to have a case where you have that part of service being done by a very small percentage of people. One of the defining things about the last 20 years is the 1% sacrificing, serving, going through everything, and the 99% not. And whether that chasm is sustainable. I feared it would not be. There was some very heavy lifting going on from 2005 into about 2011. Very heavy lifting. Because ultimately the 1% would say, we're not doing this anymore. Yep. I, you know, it's almost like looking at America. This is still an experiment in democracy. Nothing is guaranteed. Look at January the 6th. But so far, it's held up beyond my expectations. We have some questions here, if you'll indulge me, from a number of Afghan vets. We've read these questions to all of the commanders. The first one is from Jason Dempsey, retired army. If you could have done something differently as a commander, what would it be? I probably would have been far more fervent in my pleas my first time over there that more had to be done outside of the military. At that time, the State Department was taking only volunteers to go to Afghanistan. They weren't directing anybody. I think we had to look at all the dimensions of U.S. power we were applying there and put it in an expeditionary footing, just like the military was. Brett Sheets, former Army, if you could have run the war independently, what would you have done differently? Well, I would have tried to get the inputs right a heck of a lot sooner than 10 years after we invaded the country the right level of forces, the right organizational architecture, the right concepts, the right leaders. We squandered opportunities on which we might have capitalized early on. John Mike Fairfax, retired Army Special Forces. How do you explain why we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years? I think because we fought 21-year wars. Uh, I think had we had people with a longer time horizon that were seeing this as a marathon as opposed to a seven-month sprint on a deployment or a 12-month sprint on a deployment, to include the commanders who we've rotated through you know, scandalously often, I think we would have had a, a potentially different outcome because people could have had some accountability for the decisions they made. Katie Cook, Marine. Do you think the U.S. is now perceived with greater strength or weakness after our involvement in Afghanistan for the past 20 years? Sadly, I think we are viewed with greater weakness. From 9-11 on, I think we sort of showed the world how long the dog's leash is. And people learned that there was limits to our ability to do things, and uh, we learned it ourselves. Up next, the collapse. They were ordered to surrender. They were ordered not to fight. Who ordered them to do that? I wake up every morning hoping that I'm waking up from a nightmare. But I am waking up into it. 
Fear is spreading in Kabul as the Taliban install themselves in the presidential palace. Thousands desperate to flee for their lives, Kabul's airport is in a state of chaos. I don't have words to describe the emotions. From guilt to anger to betrayal. Who betrayed you? Everyone. The entire international community. The Afghan leadership. There's been an explosion outside the airport. 170 Afghans killed. 13 American troops killed in this horrific attack. There was great surprise in the intelligence community about how fast this collapse occurred. We should have maintained a military presence in Kabul until the so-called mission was complete. I think that the Biden administration's strategic choice about ending the U.S. mission in Afghanistan was the correct one, but poorly executed. We were all watching the speed at which the districts were taken over. When President Ghani came here, this was already the reality. That was June. So what is surprising? The fact that the military dissolved? The military was not strong. I'm proud to report to the American people that the Afghan army is in the fight. The U.S. has been talking about how great the development of the Afghan military forces has been. Afghan forces now have full responsibility for security across their country. For 20 years, we've been hearing about this. Afghans will secure and build their own nation and define their own future. The military became more organized, better trained in the past 20 years they have ever been. What they lacked was leadership. They were ordered to surrender. They were ordered not to fight. Who ordered them to do that? The palace. President Ghani told the Afghan security forces to surrender to the Taliban? I cannot say that he himself directly told them, but my understanding is that Kabul decided to tell these Afghan security forces not to fight. When you heard that President Ghani had fled the country, did that surprise you? It was shocking. It was disappointing. The American military, we could provide advice, we could provide training support, but we couldn't give that Afghan army a soul. Only the political leadership and people of Afghanistan could do that. And that was a failure. The Afghan government remained extraordinarily corrupt. Corruption was one of the very main reasons of how things turned out. Afghan security force development has been advanced considerably. Afghan forces are better than we thought they were, and they're better than they thought they were. The Afghan commanders who make up that corps have never lost a battle against the Taliban, and they never will. General, there are a lot of Americans who look at the collapse of the Afghan military and think, did those generals lie to us? No, they didn't. You don't stand up in front of 40 infantrymen as a young 21-year-old lieutenant and say, troops, I think we've got about a 30% chance of taking that hill. Follow me. No, you're, you're taught can do. Glass half full. Do you think that one of the problems 
may also be that the incentive structure within the U.S. military is to be able to say that something has been achieved as opposed to acknowledging that something cannot. It's a very valid point. And yes, it's more unwitting. It's just the uh, climate. You know, we can get things done. And that's something that the military indeed needs to take a look at in our history of Afghanistan. It's early to do a post-mortem, and I'm humble about my ability to articulate all of the things we should have learned uh, along the way at this point. But clearly, uh, the integration of our diplomatic and military efforts, clarity on our objectives, consistency in the application of pursuing those objectives, I mean, I think there's gonna be lessons learned in all of those areas. These are not battles or fights of a decade, much less a few years. This is a generational struggle with Islamist extremism, and you have to keep at it. I think we still have a ways to go as America to see things through the eyes of the people who live in that country. What is it they want or don't want, instead of trying to instill or impose a westernized approach to an intervention? Our ability to establish viable governance was just extraordinarily hard. If I have anything where I am most self-critical on, it is the understanding or the appreciation for how difficult that would be. I think there were three inflection points. Point number one was right after 9-11. We missed bin Laden. Had we put a lot of ground troops in there, we probably would have gotten bin Laden. On my order. Point number two was when President Bush made the fateful decision to invade Iraq. Iraq was consuming all the oxygen in the room. Much of our strategic attention was diverted into Iraq to the detriment of the war. The third inflection point was when we finally did kill Osama bin Laden. That would have been President Obama's point to quickly tried to draw down the military mission. There really was no clear political end state. That leads to deep questions. Was it worth it? What was it all about? What do you say to Gold Star parents or veterans who wonder if it was worth it? I would just simply say to the families, for what I have failed to do, I'm sorry. I did the best I could. Why do you blame yourself? If this is a failure, then I carry my share of it. What's your message to the U.S. veteran sitting at home? He lost a leg in Afghanistan, watching these events and really having a tough time with it. What do you say to them? I would say, you and your comrade, you helped us walk. So many people started thinking differently, doing things differently, expanding their worldview, treating their women better. It's not reversible. That progress would stay forever. And your sacrifices made that happen.
For years now, I've worn this bracelet on which are etched the names of the eight soldiers who were killed in 2009 in the battle at Combat Outpost Keating in Afghanistan. Thompson, Kirk, Scusa, Griffin, Hart, Gallegos, Martin, and Mace. Every one of them was killed doing something to help his brothers there during that battle, whether supplying ammunition or returning fire. So on the occasions when I'm asked, did they die for nothing? I say no, because beyond the achievements for the Afghan people, the sacrifices our service members make are not contingent on victory. Their selflessness exists unto itself. No service member enlists thinking the Pentagon or presidents never make mistakes. That's what makes their willingness to sacrifice all the more remarkable. Now, whether our leaders and the decisions that they made are worthy of these men and women? Well, that's another matter. And that is for you to decide. Thanks for listening to our special miniseries, America's Longest War, What Went Wrong in Afghanistan. See you on The Lead, which airs weekdays on CNN at 4 p.m. Eastern. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.